Are you a business owner or entrepreneur who's had great success in the business world? And now you want to launch a speaking career to share your message with the world. If that's you, then listen up. 25-year speaking industry veteran Brett Ridgway has released his latest special report, Three Key Things Entrepreneurs Must Master to Build a Profitable Speaking Business. To pick up your copy, go to brettridgeway.com forward slash freebie. Welcome to the Spotlight on Speaking Show with Brett Ridgway, where you'll learn the keys to building a profitable speaking business from speaking industry pros. Each week, we interview a great guest who will share his or her speaking journey, identify what their keys to success have been, and highlight some critical mistakes they've made along the way that you'll want to avoid. Be sure to visit our website at spotlightonspeaking.com. And while you're there, subscribe to us via your favorite network. Now, sit back, tune in, and get ready to meet this week's guest. Hello again, everyone. I am Brett Ridgway, and welcome to another episode of the Spotlight on Speaking show. Now, as many of you know, I got my background in the industry, starting out handling the backroom sales table at a lot of internet and information marketing conferences. So I, I kind of had a behind-the-scenes perspective of things, and I'm super excited about today's guest because she also comes to the table with a behind-the-scenes perspective primarily. So my guest today is Barry Baumgartner, and Barry is the founder of Sage Event Management, best known for leveraging the power of a live event to deliver purpose-driven paydays for coaches, authors, speakers, course creators, and influencers. Her sales and service strategy for high-ticket offers is the foundation for many of the industry's most profitable live events, doing events for people like Tony Robbins, Russell Brunson, Dean Graziosi, Jack Canfield, Jeff Walker, Mary Morrissey, Stu McLaren, Dr. Sue Mortar, Pete Vargas, and many, many more. Gosh, you like to deal with the low lives, Barry, obviously. In March 2020, Sage began producing virtual events and launched Obvio. Did I say that right? Obvio. Obvio, you got it. Obvio, a tech platform to create a truly immersive interactive virtual event experience for host speakers and attendees. And Sage has quickly become the leader in the virtual event space, generating over $500 million in high ticket offers on the virtual platform in just the last two years. Welcome, Barry Baumgartner, to the Spotlight on Speaking show. Well, thank you. I'm so happy to be here. I appreciate the invite. (laughs) So Barry and I go back a number of years. We crossed paths at quite a few events over the years, not not in person in the last few years, obviously, due to the COVID situation. But, you know, I've always been impressed with how Barry takes charge of things and puts on a fantastic event, event for the people that she's doing it for. And so I do want to dive some, Barry, obviously, into your speaking journey, because I know you've used speaking to some extent to help build your company. And and have you share maybe some of your keys to success as a speaker, but also I want to dive some into the virtual world and how that's changed things and what you think speakers maybe need to do differently on a virtual event versus an in-person event. And also share maybe some mistakes either you have made or you've seen some speakers make along the way that you know has been tremendously expensive to their pocketbook and you just kind of were shaking your head because you can't believe that they did such a stupid thing or whatever. 
you know, and I, I love to share war stories, and I'm sure you got a few doozies. So <laughs> Pro- probably have a few doozies in my back pocket. Yeah, <laughs> I was trying to think of how long we've known each other. Did our world's first intersect at Glazer Kennedy Insider Circle? I think it might have been way back when. Is that right? You know, I've I've been to a few Glazer Kennedy events in my past, and they exhibited some of them. I didn't realize or remember that you were actually running those events, honestly. So. Way back when, yeah, that was actually my first exposure to the information marketing space. Is working for Bill and Dan. Now, I know that we worked together on a Suzanne Evans event one time. I don't even remember where it was, maybe Orlando or something like that. For sure. And uh, I know you were handling an Alex Mondozian event several years ago that that I was at. Yeah. out, somewhere out in death. I don't remember. They all blend together after a while, but for sure they do. Yeah. I mean, we've been both of us around for a while and you know, it's interesting as an industry veteran, what you get to see both on the stage and behind the stage, you know, in my case, um, I've spoken on stages, but also been responsible for prepping a lot of speakers as they go on to stage, you know, based on being the event production company. So yeah, we've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly. <laughs> I use that. I use that phrase all the time, Barry. So, but let's talk first about your speaking journey. So as you mentioned, you've been on platforms yourself to share content and build awareness of, of what Sage does and all that. So when did you first come to the speaking industry, not from a just behind the scenes perspective, but getting up in front of the crowd and sharing what you have learned along the way? Yeah, it's so interesting. I was actually thinking about this this morning. I mean, in high school was my first speaking, right? Like running for, you know, offices in in high school and, you know, leadership positions, that kind of thing. Then in my sorority in college. And then interestingly, right out of college, one of my first jobs was traveling around the country and convincing cultured marble experts to get certified. I worked for a trade association and, you know, funny little story. I would literally go from, you know, city to city to city. And I was like 21 years old, 22 years old. I couldn't rent a car. So they would come pick me up at the airport and take me to the thing. And I would go speak and I would get beat up because nobody wanted to get certified. So I give my little talk, you know, your signature talk. And then they would, you know, come back at me with all the reasons they didn't want to get certified. And I got better and better at it. But it was funny at the end of each one, they'd be like, kiddo, you did really good today. You know, like they would like kind of rip you apart on stage after they'd be like, you did really good today. You're getting really better at this. Um, And I bring that up from the perspective that, you know, regardless of what your speaking opportunity is, one of the things you have to get good at is having a signature talk, knowing who your audience is, knowing what the objections are, being able to overcome them and pick yourself up and do it again, even if it didn't go perfectly the first time. I mean, that was really some of my first speaking experiences and um, not easy ones. You know, easier ones were emceeing for events. I did that a lot when I started Sage back in 2004. I was everything. I was the event planner. I was the emcee. I was coaching the speakers behind the stage. I was wearing all the hats. And then, you know, ironically, courtesy of COVID, um, you know, I started getting invited to speak on a lot of stages. Like I've spoken on Tony's stage and Dean's stage and on a stage in Brazil. I recently just spoke on a stage in Portugal from our studio in Rolls Inlet. Um, which is interesting, you know, because these days the world of speaking has changed so much. Speaking used to be get on a plane, you know, travel to the city or travel to the hotel ballroom and, you know, at the very least drive across town. And now you could do like five keynotes in a day if you're doing virtual events. It's completely changed the speaking world. Well, without a doubt. So, you know, actually you say you found a stage in 2004. So I actually predate you a little bit. I started at the back of the room in 1999. So yeah, oh, you you know, I got to go back a century to when I started, but. <laughs> well, I was trying to say to one of our team members recently, you know, when I first started in this industry, like, you know, right out of college, 
I do you remember slide carousels? I mean, the kids these days oh. don't even know what that is, right? Yeah. Oh, but yeah. back in the day, when you had a slide carousel, and the only way that you could change your presentation was to move your slides around, you know, versus today, where you know you can be updating your keynote until seconds when you go on the stage. It's changed everything, right? Speakers, you know, changing their talks at the last minute, being asked to change their talks at the last minute. Um, AV teams being asked to accept talks at the last minute, which we'll come back to that on things to do and not do. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny, you, you talk about slide carousels. In, in my world, the first company I worked for was an industrial training company. And I was selling high ticket industrial training classes to military bases and power plants and all that. And the training method back then was overhead projector with acetates, man. And, you know, right on the acetate, right. you take it off, put the next one on the thing. I mean, Dan Kennedy, I don't know if he still does that, but he did that he for a does. long time. He, we still have the visualizer. We still do, which for those <laughs> of you that don't know what that is, overhead projector that allows you to write, it'll broadcast whatever you're writing. No whiteboards for Dan Kennedy. We're still using visualizer. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Well, you've raised your hand, but you're already speaking, Barry. So you don't have to raise your hand. So you can lower your hand if you want there. So. Anyway, so 2004, Sage was founded, and you know what was the impetus for the idea to put together an event company? Because I'm sure there were a lot of them out there already. So what what drove you to want to found that organization? Yeah, I mean, truly, when I um, started Sage in 2004, it was because my first husband's family business had imploded. And when it imploded, he imploded. And I really, seriously, I think a lot of people can probably relate to this. It was a just until business, meaning that I started it just until he got back on his feet again. Like I was just going to do this until. And uh, when he didn't get back on his feet again, it became more of a, you know, full-time operation. And then we got a divorce. I moved to New York City and I really just went all in on my business. And so for those of you out there that, you know, owning your own business is a dream or speaking on stages is a dream, or you're doing this just until, or doing it because you've always wanted to, but you're not sure you can. I, I want to tell you that you can do this. Like you absolutely can do this. I think one of the most amazing things about our industry and our space, the speaking space is that you can do it from anywhere, especially now courtesy of COVID and you can start small and then scale as you go. It's really pretty amazing. You don't really need anything other than like a computer, good lighting and a zoom account and good lighting could be like, you know, a lamp, a lamp without a lampshade in front of you just so that you've got some really great light on your face. That's pretty awesome. Like back in the day, you needed a lot more than that to get going. And today you don't, and you can start broadcasting, you know, without even being hired to speak, which is even better. Right. So you can be a speaker without being hired to be a speaker, which is awesome. So I like to say there are three types of speakers, Barry. One is one is a keynote speaker who obviously has paid a fee to go in and speak to a, an association or a corporation. The second is a platform seller, which is a world that, you know, you and I are, are very, very familiar with. And the third is the, the business person who just used speaking as a, a marketing tool. So the, they're not directly selling from the stage, but they hope that somebody in the audience will want to find out more about whatever product or services that, that they have to offer. So have you always been that third type of speaker or have you ever John, John ventured into the other areas at all yourself? Yeah, I for me, I've, I've been in all of the areas. I've probably done a little bit of all of those. Where I am today is I'm a little more comfortable. I mean, the, the space that I enjoy the most is training space. Like we have a coaching program. So I love doing training on our industry and who we are and what we do and how you can do it too. And I love giving signature talks. Like it's not uncommon for me to give a keynote on, you know, one of our client stages or to be hired to do that on someone's stage. And, you know, I, I love the fact that we can ignite people. Like I often think of this, like, 
like on a stage, and this is something for you to think about if you're a speaker, whenever we give a talk, we're kind of introducing people to this concept of like, what, you can do that? And then getting them to think, well, wait a minute, I can do that. I could do that. And then wait, now that I hear how this works, I will do that. And then I must do that. I'm crazy not to do that. And I think that's what events are designed to do too. But events are just, you know, whether it's a one day or a three day or a five day, a talk is just, you know, I think of it as an accordion bleed. It's the same thing you're doing. It's just done in a more concentrated fashion. But if you look at the power of a talk that you can use it to ignite your audience, to think in a different way, see the world in a different way, see themselves in a different way, those are the things that light me up the most today. So as your own speaking journey has progressed and you got on stages where you're doing that keynote or whatever, what would you say maybe are your two or three biggest keys to success for your speaking career. And we'll talk about some other speakers and virtual events separately, but for you personally, what have been your biggest keys to success up on the stage? Okay. I, this, this I think is really important. I've learned this from being behind the scenes as the event producer and from being on the stage as the speaker. And I think so many people miss this and get it wrong. Your talk especially if it's not a standalone, it's going to be part of an event. It's going to be bigger than just you. Mm -hmm. It is critical that you know how you fit into the program. Even if it's a luncheon, like are you before lunch or after lunch and why are they coming to this lunch and what's the nature of the organization and what, who is this audience and what do they most need to know? I think so often speakers have a signature talk and they just get up and do their thing. Yeah. Without the context, who am I speaking to? What's really important to them? Why does what I'm talking about matter to them? And how can I solve a problem today? And where does it fit into the through line of this whole event? You know, so often we just get up and do our thing, but I insist that every speaker who takes one of our stages knows why they're in their spot, in this specific spot, like why I put them in this spot who they're talking to and why it matters, what's happening before them, what's happening after them, and why I put them in that specific spot, in that through line. I think of it as through line. What's the through line of the day, the through line of the event, the through line of the talk. I think it's really important to know that. And I think there's a lot of speakers out there who say they customize their talks and their version of customizing is to change (laughs) the name of the city they're in or the name of the group they're talking to. And that's not true customization. So I think that speakers who really knock it out of the ballpark and who really get known and hired a lot are the ones who ask those questions and come in really prepared to take a signature talk. Doesn't mean you're you're reinventing your talk every time you speak, but taking that signature talk and topic and customizing it to the audience audience you're talking to, to make sure that it's relevant. You know, I tell the story frequently. I was handling the back of the room in an event, and this is probably going back 20 years, honestly, but there seem to be a lot of event promoters, and I'm sure you've run across this too, who give no thought to the curriculum of an event. It's just about how many names can I get on my stage that might be able to draw people into the seats. Yes. And I was working at an event where they had three different speakers on the subject of copywriting. Now, while copywriting is a very important subject, by the time you got to the third speaker on copywriting, the audience was tuned out and their chances of selling anything from the platform was like nothing because yes. people, were, people were gone. So, yeah, I mean, if you're a speaker, you better do your homework ahead of time and make sure you understand who else is on that platform besides you, what they're going to be talking about, where you're fitting into the slot time-wise, et cetera. I mean, so many people are just damn lazy, honestly, and they're not willing to do the homework ahead of time to figure out how they could be 
most effective on that platform. Yeah. Or they haven't been educated in the fact that that matters a lot, right? Which is why I brought it up. I think it is a super common misstep for both event hosts and speakers to not do that collective homework. Like you should never be on a stage where you haven't talked to the production team about why you were put in that space. And if you're the host, you should never put a speaker on your stage where you haven't had a conversation about all the things we just talked about. Mm -hmm. It's super important for that to work. And, you know, to your point, I've even seen it where you have a host of speaker or a round of speakers on the same topic and they contradict one another, which could be super confusing to the audience unless you knew that and you set it up and said, now I know the last speaker just shared such and such, but I want you to hear a counterpoint. So our next speaker is going to give you another point of view. Now, just that one little, you know, piece of connectivity all of a sudden makes it okay. Mm -hmm. But without that, and you see this happen all the time where you've got all these different, you're not doing, it's not a service to the audience to just lob things at them to see what sticks versus taking them on a journey that's experiential, that's planned. Like you don't go to a movie and people have just thrown things into the movie and hoped it turned out to be a plot, right? Like there's a very thoughtful plot that takes you through an experience that leads to a reveal. And that's why movies are so enjoyable. So when you think about experiences, you want to plan everything. And you know, again, just kind of thinking of missteps that I see with speakers a lot is that the bare minimum, have an amazing intro and outro. Like that's super important. I think one of the hardest things is taking a stage and leaving a stage. And that includes how are you going to be introduced to the stage and how are you going to exit the stage? And I can't tell you how often that gets missed. You get up, a speaker will get on stage and be like, am I closing it out? Or is someone coming to relieve me? Wow, I never asked that question. And they're on stage and unsure about that, right? Or someone introduces them, but not in the way they were expecting. Like you thought of video was going to play, but they introduced you and the audience started clapping and you're like, where's my video? So even those little nuances matter a lot. So, you know, thinking of how you're, how you fit into the stage, but also how are you taking the stage and how are you leaving it? So back to your speaking career, what the, maybe your, your second hint for aspiring speakers that from your experience will lead to greater success. Always talk to your AV team. Always talk to your audiovisual team. So we talked about making sure you're clear with the event host or the production team um, that's producing the event about why you're speaking and what you're intended to do, what's the outcome of your talk. But the next piece is the technical components of your talk. And the audiovisual team, while you know, kind of unseen, unheard, they're in the back of the room just pushing all the buttons and making things work, is super critical to you having a successful speaking engagement. That doesn't matter whether it's a super small room or even more importantly, a really large room. The more AV team there are, the more moving parts there are, the more important this is. But I find that a lot of times speakers like, oh, it's just such a simple speaking engagement. They've got it. And then there are fails. So, you know, for me, I have a short list of the things that I need. Like, what am I expecting to have equipment wise so that there can be a red flag if that's not going to be there and I can adjust accordingly. But I don't just rely on them reading that. I then ask if I can meet with them in advance, do a quick sound test, walk the stage, um, use the stage, get used to the size of the stage and get a chance to use the equipment to make sure I'm in sync, they're in sync. If there's any critical moments of your talk where you're going to go over to a whiteboard or you're going to have a video clip or an audio clip, test those out. Don't just assume that they're going to work. Like you want to give your audiovisual team a heads up that that's coming so that they're prepared and not just a heads up. You want to test it out. And that might mean arriving early. Your talk might be at noon and that might mean sound test has to be at 8 a.m. Do it anyway. Get up early and be there and do it. It'll make a huge difference. And you might think, okay, that's all in person. It's really the 
same thing for virtual. It's just, yeah. it's a virtualized version of everything I just said. Yeah. Well, one of my biggest pet peeves in the industry is a hit and run speaker. I mean, they show up 10 minutes before they're getting on stage and they're out the door as soon as they're off the stage. And it's like, that is no way to be a professional, but you still, still see it all the time. I mean, on virtual events these days, if I'm not 10 minutes early to the scheduled thing, then I'm late from my perspective because yeah. I've hosted enough events over time that I don't want to put the stress on the host or you know the promoter or whoever it is that are they going to show or are they not going to show and they're sweating at the last minute and then somebody pops in at five seconds before you're supposed to start. It's like not the way to do it. But and and by the way, the fact this kind of ties back to something I said. I'd bring right. back to the conversation. You you went you went very soft, Barry. Oh wait, let's see. Lost lost your volume. Sorry. <laughs> speaking of speaking mishaps. <laughs> And having a good tech team. Yeah. And by the way, we did test that out in advance. Not sure what happened there. <laughs> no, no worry. So we'll, we'll, we'll edit it out or we'll just leave it in so people can see you just got to deal with stuff as it comes up. For sure. I would leave it in and let people see that, yeah, sometimes things just happen. And as a host, you have to roll with it. And as a speaker, you have to roll with it for exactly sure. Exactly right. So, But what I was going to say, what I think right when that happened, what I was saying is that with an AV team, I mentioned this earlier, I wanted to tie back to it, is I think it's also critical. We have the ability now as speakers to change our keynotes up until the very last minute. But walking in and handing an AV team a last minute keynote is a recipe for disaster. There are so many things that have to happen, whether it's a simple or a more advanced production. So you're setting yourself and them up for failure. So that's part of that earlier sound test, fight the urge to make last minute changes and hand it off early, do the test. And then everybody goes into your speaking engagement, knowing that everything is working. And, you know, you were just saying, get there 10 minutes early, but I'm a huge fan of getting there at least at the break before for that sound test, if not earlier and hearing the speaker before you, like if you're giving a talk where you're not the only speaker, it's super great to hear what happened before you so that you have context and you can tie back to that speaker. It'll be better for you. It'll get you in the energy of the event and better for the audience. And you're speaking both of in-person and virtual events in that A hundred percent. Yes, a hundred percent. And listen, it's even easier with virtual because you can even be working while you're half listening, but at oh, least yeah. you're part of the production and you're able to hear what's going on. You know, it, I think it's a sign of a really great speaker when they've done some customization and they say, hey, you know, it was, I love what Steve said earlier. Steve told you da, da, da. And I want to tell you da, 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 right now you've tied back to something the host said or a speaker before yeah. you said, and it really shows full engagement and the audience will love you for that. And the host will love you for that. I promise. So those are such great points, Barry. And I do have some other things I want to dive into with you, but before we continue, yeah. let's take a quick break for a word from our sponsor. Are you a business owner or entrepreneur who's had great success in the business world? And now you want to launch a speaking career to share your message with the world. If that's you, then listen up. 25-year speaking industry veteran Brett Ridgway has released his latest special report, Three Key Things Entrepreneurs Must Master to Build a Profitable Speaking Business. To pick up your copy, go to brettridgeway.com forward slash freebie. And we are back with the Spotlight on Speaking Show, and my guest this week is Barry Baumgartner of Sage Event Management. And so, Barry, let, let's talk about virtual events a little bit, because obviously the world's changed, and you've formed a highly successful company based around the virtual event world and, and providing the platform for people there. So from a speaker perspective, what is different in your mind about how they need to prepare for a virtual event compared to an, an in-person event? 
Yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, I think from a virtual event perspective, this is a this is a little similar to what I said about in person and arriving early, but you need to know what the capabilities are of the team that you're working with, how they're bringing you in, what you're going to be able to see, what you're going to be able to hear. Um, you absolutely, I think it's actually almost more important to do a sound test in virtual than it is in person because with virtual events, there are so many different ways that a virtual event can be hosted. So ideally, before you ever take the virtual stage, you've asked a lot of questions about the tech capability, how you're signing in, what you're going to be able to see, what you're going to be able to hear. You may be able to do an advanced preview of it. It may have to be the same day, but take the time to do that. And I think, you know, as a speaker in the virtual world and more and more keynotes are virtual keynotes, more and more event productions are virtual event productions, because I don't think virtual events are going away. You know, if COVID had been a two-month blip, that might have been the case. But with it lasting the way it did, what we all learned from this is what was possible. And I will tell you, having been in this since, you know, 1991, my very first event was my first year out of college. I'll let you do the math on that. But 1991 was my very first event. And there, there have not been a lot of seismic changes to the event and hospitality industry in that time. Trade shows still look like trade shows. Events still look like events. I mean, not a lot has changed until COVID. I think the biggest change might be going from the slide carousel to the keynotes, right? There've been some changes in print production, as you know, but really probably one of the biggest changes is COVID. And I often say COVID did for the event industry, what 9-11 did for the travel industry, meaning it changed it forever and it changed how we looked at it forever. So while I do think, you know, in-person events obviously have come back, will come back, will always be here, virtual events are here to stay too. So as a speaker, what you need to be comfortable with is an in-person option, a virtual option, a hybrid option, because they're all on the table now. And you really have to decide if, are you only going to be good in one medium? Or are you going to get good at all platforms? And if you are, you really have to learn the nuances of what's required in order to do that and ask the right questions in advance so that you can be your best self and be ready for any curveballs that might be thrown your way. So what are your thoughts, Barry, on virtual background? Because I frankly see a, a lot on virtual events and I hate them myself because people are washing in and out all the time. Yes. Why would somebody want to use a virtual background? I mean, I don't know. I would not do that. <laughs> yeah, I, I really wouldn't do it. And I think if you're going to be taken seriously as a speaker, you need to invest in some good basic equipment, have a good background. And listen, if you don't have the money for that right now, a good background can be a plain wall that is uplit. Like remember those lamps I mentioned earlier and taking the shades off, take two lamps, take the shades off, put them behind you on the ground where no one can see it. So there's a little bit of light cast on that wall, have it be a clear blank wall and have a light in front of you. Again, you can take a lamp without a lamp shade and have that in front of you. Don't rely on natural light because if a cloud goes across, there's going to be a cloud going across you too, right? So I would, you know, planned lighting, planned good sound. It can be really simple, but have a good backdrop that you're prepared and used to. Do not go with a virtual backdrop. It is, I think, a no-no. I agree wholeheartedly. So This is probably my favorite question to ask my guest, Barry, and you can approach it from two different standpoints. Mm-hmm. The question is, you know, what are some of the stupid mistakes you've seen speakers make that you would highly adv- advise others not to make? And it could be a mistake from your own personal experience that you did, or it could be something that you saw some speaker do at an event and you just left you shaking your head because it's like, why would they do that? So, mm-hmm. Yeah, there are two. The first is... In an in-person event, 
walking out too soon. It's such a simple thing, right? But remember how I said now how to take the stage and how you're going to take the stage in a perfect world. You have a really good intro, whether it is a host or a video, you have a really good intro. It's practiced in advance. It's known in advance. You're not relying on someone to introduce you properly. You've scripted that, whether you've scripted it for them to read, or you've scripted that for a video to play. And then music comes on and that music hits for a beat before you start walking on the stage. And I find an active, anxious speaker often is like, they said my name, bam, I'm out there. And it doesn't give a moment for the audio, for the like energy to build for you. So I insist in our in-person events that we have control over when the music play, how the intro is done, whether it's video or being read music being played to bring the energy up and it's cued to the perfect snippet. Again, practice that during your sound test. And then the speaker takes the stage at the right time for a little bit of energy to build. Now with virtual, you need the same thing, but it's going to be a shorter build. You can't have as long of a walk on as you can in person. So it's shorter, but I think that's really critical. And then the other thing, and this is like one of the biggest missteps in the world is to go long or to go short. Nobody wants you to end earlier than they were expecting and nobody wants you to go long. It doesn't matter how amazing you are. It doesn't matter how much the audience loves you. It doesn't matter if they are eating it up. It doesn't matter if you ask, are you loving this? Would you like me to keep going? Like that is the worst thing you can do as a speaker to your host. It is the most unkind thing you can do because behind you is a whole series of things that are happening that you are now pushing back, including potentially other speakers who've arrived on time. So end on time, whatever time you've been given, that's the time to end. And I'll just throw in one bonus tip. Be prepared for the host to cut your time or expand your time. Meaning I know I told you 45 minutes, but can you do it in 40? I know I told you 45 minutes, but could you do 60, right? Because somebody else did something wrong. Now you have to absorb that, right? So being able as a speaker to condense your time or expand your time and not being thrown by that guaranteed in your speaking career, you're going to be asked to do that. So being prepared for that is really awesome. So what's the longest you've ever seen a speaker go over, Barry? Oh, we've recently, well, yeah, uh, without naming names, one of my clients is known for going over. He's actually celebrated for going over by hours and hours. It's, oh not, unco- <laughs> it's not uncommon for this famous speaker who I love dearly to go over by hours. Um, but he's an icon and he can get away with it because he is an icon. Um, but I recently had someone on a stage go over by 45 minutes, 45. Oh and they loved her. She's a celebrity. She's an amazing speaker. And she kept asking for the more time. Oh, would you mind if I, I'm just going to do da, da, da. Painful. And, you know, the, here's the thing about it. In the moment, I'm sure it felt good to her that it was, the audience was loving her. But for those of us who know what the talk was and know what she was supposed to do with the outcome of that talk was, we know that she talked past it. Meaning there was a perfect end to her talk that would have made it even stronger, but she was so enjoying the spotlight that she kept going and it went too long and it actually was a less good talk for it. It is pretty rare that when you go long, you don't do yourself a disservice. She did. And she did a huge disservice to us because we had any number of things that had to be reorganized and recalibrated. And I will just say this, if you're speaking at an enrollment event, this is an event where people are making an offer and you go long, you might be jeopardizing 
thousands or hundreds of thousands or ironically, even millions, and I'm not overstating this, even millions of dollars. So it is a super big misstep, especially if you're on a selling from the stage platform, whether you're the, spe- you're the one selling or somebody else's to not nail your time. Like it's pretty unforgivable. Yeah, I, I tend to be a fast talker, so going short is more, you know, more of a challenge for me than going long. But yes, and you know, listen, be prepared. If you do that, you know that you have bridge content you can add, or you're going to take a couple questions to fill the time. But if you're backstage and you were expecting a speaker to end at a certain time and they end early, everyone's now scrambling, right? Because they weren't expecting that. That wasn't the goal of your talk. So not a good thing to do on so either right, end. I want to loop back to around to the introduction a little bit, Barry. So what's the yeah. ideal length of a speaker introduction in your mind? Um, super short. In fact, as you were reading mine, I was thinking to myself, I should really shorten that. Um, because yeah, you don't want to bore the audience with your accolades, with who you are and what you do. It really, the way to think of it is a form follows function approach, which is what do they need to know in order to appreciate who you are and why they should listen? Like, why are you the authority on this space and why should they assume that the audience doesn't know who you are, no matter how famous and amazing you are, assume that the audience doesn't know who you are. What's the bare minimum of information that they need to be like, oh, wow, that's who this is. I really need to pay attention. Mm -hmm. That's really what it's designed to do. Not to list your entire curriculum vitae, like everything you've ever done in the world. It's really not intended for that. So be really strategic. Yeah, I mean, in my mind, two to three minutes is the longest an introduction should be, and you've certainly Agreed. seen it where they drone on and on and on and no, on. No, terrible. Like, you know, it kills you. Yeah, it's not uncommon for me as the event host to whittle down a speaker's introduction. And I let them know, like, thank you for this. I want you to know I whittled it down to this. This is the appropriate amount of time Mm -hmm. um, for our stage and for our audience. And it's the same thing with the video. If you're going to have a video intro, it should not be longer than what, you know, that two to three minute mark. It really shouldn't. No matter how amazing you think it is, how many great testimonials or snippets or accolades, that's really the max. I promise you, no matter how good it is, your audience will start to get bored. And I say the fact that you're on stage itself is a credibility builder that speaks 90 percent of what you need to say honestly it's so it's really true so gonna dive off into another subject you still got a couple yes. of minutes for me here so i do all right so what is your thought on speaker parades the first morning of a multi-speaker event for them to get up and do a, a one minute hey i'm talking on this day and here's what i'm talking about you like those don't like those i mean meaning that they're going to give an advanced preview of what yeah, they're going to yeah, talk about yeah. Yeah, a one or two minute preview of what they're going to be talking about later in the event. Yeah, I don't love it. I mean, the way I would prefer it personally is that the host does that, meaning that the host of the event or the MC of the event, since we have as part of their opening comments, we've had a really amazing program planned for you. Let me give you some of the highlights, you know, so I think it's better for them to position it than to have a parade of speakers coming up or even one speaker coming up and giving a preview of what they're going to talk about. And interestingly, for years, we did that for sponsors. Um, They would give a preview of something they were going to do let's say in a breakout. Mm -hmm. And that is, that's a little different, uh, meaning that in many ways they're selling the opportunity um, of what they're, they're selling themselves so that people will show up to their breakout. But what I learned over time is that even then it's better if the host does it, if the host sets you up and why all of these breakout speakers are amazing, why she or he has invited them to speak on the stage, why it's a curated group of resources, why all of them are equally important and why you should choose the one that best suits you. Like there's, there's an art 
to setting up a speaker, setting up a sponsor, setting up a breakout and engaging the audience. It's really an enrollment conversation, um, which is important. Like little previews and teases are important to keep your audience engaged and staying with you. And I think especially in virtual, because in virtual, all we have to do if we're not enjoying something is close our laptop. Like it's super easy to disengage. So with virtual, keep in mind that like every, think of it like a TED talk, every word has to matter. You have to really be calibrated to keeping your audience because it's all too easy to walk away if they're not enjoying it. Where with in-person, you know, you've invested in a flight, a hotel room and like give it, you'll give it a chance, right? But even with in-person, if they start to get bored, where are they going to be? in the hallway, right? We've seen those events where there's more people in the hallway than there are in the room. And that's because we haven't set the speakers up properly or done our job to make sure that they're in the through line, know what they're doing, know how to engage, know the outcome. If you do all of those things, your audience should be in the room and paying attention. So obviously we're looking at a number of these topics today from the event promoter's lens, not Mm -hmm. just the speaker's lens. So another event promoter question then for you, Barry, and that are you a fan of or against publishing a full schedule of the event, who's speaking when, that is published and available for every attendee to receive in advance. Yeah, it doesn't matter whether I'm the event host, the event producer, or the event speaker. I am not a fan of giving everyone a full agenda of who's speaking when. because, And here's why. There's a why behind it, which is the average attendee does not know what they need or don't need. They think they know what they need or don't need. And when they beg you for a detailed agenda of who's speaking when and on what, what are they really saying? I want to see who I want to go to listen to. Yeah. And I want to see who I want to skip. Right. I want to see where I can duck out. I want to see where I can take that call. I want to see where I can take that meeting. And so I'm a big fan of giving your audiences start time, the break times, the end time and saying, trust us to curate the experience for you. We reserve the right to make minor modifications and the speakers and the topics. So I'm giving you a list of who the speakers are and what they're speaking on. I'm not giving you exactly when and where. And I promise you attendees are going to ask you for it and they're still better off. Like it's kind of like thinking of them as like children. I don't mean this in a condescending <laughs> way, but they're going to beg you for the thing they think they want and need. And you need to be strong enough to like, no, I know what you want and need. Trust me on this. Give me your trust on this. I mean, I've curated an amazing experience for you. This is when we start. This is when we end. This is when we take breaks. You're going to love every minute. And something else we say a lot is to miss a little is to miss a lot. These sessions build on one another. I call it accumulation effect. And we set it up from the stage. We tell the audience from the beginning of the show, in the opening comments, you are not going to want to miss a session. They build on one another. It's an accumulation effect, meaning to miss a little is to miss a lot. So be here for every session. I promise you, you'll be glad you did. Like, don't assume that your audience knows that. You need to enroll them. doesn't matter whether it's an in-person event or a virtual event. Enroll them in that. Well, this has been an awesome time together, Barry. I so appreciate you jumping on with me here today and sharing some of your expertise. And as you can see, folks, you know, Barry's a true professional event promotion, event management, speakers, she knows it all. So if you're fairly new to the speaking world, I would highly encourage you to listen to this interview again, honestly, and take some good notes that will help you out along the way. So if somebody wants to get involved in your world, tell them a little bit more about your platform, Barry, and also how they get, you know, learn more about Sage Event Management. 
Yeah, well, thank you. I mean, interestingly, courtesy of COVID, we have five companies, not just one. We went into COVID with one company and came out with five. Um, But there, you know, it's interesting. What we do now is we produce events for people. We also produce our own events, teaching people how to do events. And um, we have a studio. And as as you mentioned earlier, we have a virtual event software that helps people make it easy to run a virtual event. And the easiest thing is just sagehub.com. That's the easiest way to find us. So thank you for asking. Give that that domain again, please, Barry. Yes, yes. It's sage, S-A-G-E, which is our company name, Sage hub.com. And um, that will take you directly to um, information on who we are, what we do. And if you're interested in our event coming to our next event, which is the virtual event on virtual events, it's where we teach speakers like you how to be on a virtual stage. (laughs) Well, awesome stuff. So I want to thank everybody for joining us today. Thank you sincerely to my guest, Barry Baumgartner, for being with us this afternoon. And if you haven't already been to brentridgeway.com, please hop on over there, pick up your copy of my Free report, three key things entrepreneurs must master to build a profitable speaking business. And then right along the same line, here's the actual first preview of my new book coming out in March, How to Build a Profitable Speaking Business. So that will be available in March, and you can get more on that at buildaprofitablespeakingbusiness.com. But as always, thank you so much for being with us today. And as always, I wish you the greatest of success as you look to build your profitable speaking business in 2023. Take care. This has been the Spotlight on Speaking Show with Brett Ridgway. Be sure to join us every week as we interview speaking industry pros and have them share their best tips for building a profitable speaking business. Until next week, thank you for tuning in and remember to visit our website at spotlightonspeaking.com so you can enjoy even more great episodes like this one. While you're here, be sure to subscribe via your favorite network. We look forward to seeing you next time on the Spotlight on Speaking Show. Until then, our sincere best wishes to you for the greatest of success as you work to build your own profitable speaking business.